upon the sermon. Let's pray. Father, as we come now to a time of studying your word, Lord, we know that we cannot understand the scripture unless the spirit of God gives us understanding. So Lord, we ask for understanding this evening. Would you open our hearts and our minds to receive the word of truth? May we not just be hearers tonight, but may we be doers also. May we hear, may we understand, and may we grow. Oh, Lord, would you be glorified, we pray, for Jesus' sake. Amen. Well, we live in a day and age where everything is being called into question. It has been said that today it's time for the old to go away because there is need for new and better things. We are told that everything that we have, that we have had for many years, must adapt and change for today's culture. Now, I saw this mindset of change and adaptation mocked when I was watching a reality show. Now, this TV show, what it does is they look at the old ways of doing things, different skills, different tools, uh, different buildings, and what would happen is that the host would say, can modern man recreate these old methods. Now, most of the time, modern man had no idea what they were doing. But in this one episode I saw, the host was saying that in today's culture, everything needs to be able to multitask. That's what he was saying. Everything must multitask. It's no use having an item that can only do one thing. Now, of course, he was saying that to try and mock, to show that some of the best things we have in our society can indeed only do one thing. But he went on to say, what if we apply that logic to something as simple as a bicycle? A bicycle is good for one thing, riding. And then he said, oh, but that's not good enough today. A bicycle should be able to do much more than that. So with his tongue firmly planted in his cheek, the host went about to create what he called the Swiss Army Bicycle. Now, on this bike, they attached different tools. They thought, maybe when you're riding your bicycle, you might get a little bit thirsty. So they attached a blender to the back. So you could blend up your drink while you're riding along and then have a nice, cool, refreshing smoothie. Then he said, what happens if you want to do the gardening while you were riding your bicycle? I know we'll attach a weed sprayer to the back of your bicycle so you can ride along and spray all the weeds as you go about your daily business. But then he said, what if you're a butcher and you need to sharpen your knives before you get to work? Ah, let's attach a sharpening stone to the wheel so you can pedal and sharpen your meat cleaver at the same time. Now, of course, he was mocking everything. He was saying this is just silliness. Sometimes the old is as good as it gets and we do not need to improve it. He was showing that people are obsessed with change. Now, in the realm of technology, change is a good thing. My daughter's been sick recently, and when she was in hospital, we saw some wonderful medical advancements. Changes in medical technology is a good thing. But this idea that things must improve and things must change becomes bad when it crosses into our understanding of God. It is good to say technology should advance, we want to make things better in our society, but it's bad when we take that mindset and apply it to theology. 
It is terribly wicked and sinful when we take the idea of change and then apply it to our understanding of God. Yet that is exactly what is happening in today's modern church. Many people today are saying that Christianity must change if it wishes to remain relevant. We are told that God must adapt and fit with the times. Yet as we approach the Bible, we see in the passage that we read earlier that God himself is not a God who adapts. Rather, God expects us to adapt to him. You see, the Bible makes it very clear that our God, the God of the Bible, is a God who does not change. God doesn't develop as we gain more knowledge. God does not adapt throughout the years. Rather, God is immutable. That is, God is unchanging. He is perfect and he never will change. And this evening, I want us to consider these two verses in Malachi chapter 3 and consider the grand doctrine of the immutability of God. Now, don't be afraid of that word immutability. It's just a fancy theological term meaning the unchangingness of God. I want us to examine the God who does not change. So that in mind, let's begin by looking at verse 6a and the immutability of God. Now, before we begin to unpack this verse and understand what God is saying here, it is important that we understand the context. God speaks into a particular context, so we should understand what is occurring. As we approach this passage, we're not approaching a passage in isolation. Rather, what we see is God addressing an issue that had been brought up by the children of Israel. You see, God in these verses are speaking to his covenant people. But the covenant people at this time had become unfaithful. In the verses previous, we are told that Israel had began to question God. They began to doubt God. And they even made accusations that God had changed and had become evil. Now what triggered these accusations is that people looked around them, they saw the wickedness that is in their land, and they concluded that God wasn't dealing with it. They, they had an idea that God should act a certain way, that he should respond and do things when they wanted him to do it. But when God didn't conform to their standards, they concluded that God was no longer holy. They said that God is now a God who delights in sin. They began to accuse God of all manner of evil. And as we come to Malachi 3, we see God responding. Now, if someone accused you of all manner of evil and said you delight in evil, chances are you're going to be pretty cranky at them. You're not going to take that well. But as we look at God's reply, we see it's very different. God doesn't reply and say, right, you want to accuse me of evil? That's it, you're on your own. He doesn't do that. No, God responds as a father would respond to his children. He responds in a loving and gentle manner. He answers their unjust allegations. And he says that he is the just and holy God. And that he will deal with evil. But he'll deal with it in his time. And with that, God makes two promises in the book of Malachi. He promises that judgment for sin is coming but he also points forward to salvation. He points forward to the Lord Jesus Christ and all that he will do. And then in the two verses that we're studying this evening, we see that God reveals himself to the people. And God says, 
I am the God who does not change. You accuse me of all manner of evil. You accuse me of adapting and changing. But that's not who I am. For I am the Lord. I change not. You see, God here is declaring to his people and indeed to all those who would take up the scripture that he does not change, he will not change, and he cannot change. God is saying in this passage there are certain things that he cannot do. Now, let me quickly clarify this before anyone charges me with heresy. I am not denying the almighty power of God. But what I'm saying is that God, according to his nature, God, according to his character, has certain things that he cannot do. For instance, God is holy, 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 which means he cannot commit sin. If he committed sin, he would not be holy. God says that he is not a man that he should lie. God cannot lie. He always speaks the truth because he is true. And then we have here in Malachi 3, God saying he cannot change. There are certain things that God according to his nature and God according to his character cannot do. It would go against who God is for him to change. It would go against his nature, it would go against his character. And if it was possible... If it was possible for God to change, then the moment he changed, he would cease to be God. You see, God by nature is perfect. Jesus said, you must be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. God is perfect. But if he changed, change implies either imperfection before the change or imperfection after the change the moment God changed if it was possible he would cease to be God perfection does not change it doesn't need to change and God because he is perfect God because he is complete cannot and will not change I think of it like this imagine tomorrow after a long, hard day, you decide to relax and watch some television. You turn the television on and you find that all you get on TV these days are adverts. And you're watching the advert on TV and this product comes on and it says, this product is perfect for your need. Now you're taken in by the flashing lights and the good price and you decide to go buy this product. And indeed, you find it is pretty perfect. It does all that you want. You think this is a good product. Well, let's fast forward six months from now. Once again, you turn the television on and you see the adverts. And this time it's the same company with the same product saying, new and improved product. If you saw that, you go, hang on a second. If it was perfect six months ago, how can it be new and improved? If it's new and improved, it was either imperfect six months ago or it's going to be imperfect now. Perfection doesn't change you cannot improve upon perfection and it's the same with God God is perfect you cannot improve upon God for God to change would imply he either became better or he got worse 
Either way, he would lose his perfection and he would cease to be God. Now, it's important that we understand that. It's important that we understand our God is perfect and as such, he cannot and will not change because that answers the objection that people say today. The objection that says God must change to be relevant. No, God is relevant in all times, in all ages, in all periods because he is perfect. He is relevant now as he was in the time of Malachi. He is relevant tomorrow as he was in the beginning. God's perfection says he is always relevant and he will not change, he cannot change because he is perfect and we as believers can rest in that. We can hold fast to the Lord Jesus Christ and our great God because we know he is perfect. When everything around us changes, when the world goes to chaos and wise men so-called stand up and say adapt to the world or die, we can stand back and say no. We adapt to God and his standards. And God, because he is perfect, cannot and will not change. God, by his nature, is immutable. He is the same forever. That is the God of the Bible. But as we consider this wonderful doctrine of God's immutability, there should be questions starting to appear in our mind. Whenever we read the Bible, we should have questions. We should be going, why is it saying that? What is being taught here? And as we look at the fact that God says, for I am the Lord, I change not, a question that should arise in our mind is this. If God does not change, then what do we do with the Old and New Testament? Because clearly the Old and New Testament is different. What do we do now? And that is a big and important question. What do we do? There's clearly a difference between how God deals with people in the New Testament as to how God deals with people in the Old Testament. Does that mean that God has changed between the Testaments? Well, no. God is still the same. You see, when God says, For I am the Lord, I change not, He is speaking not about His interaction with us. He's speaking instead about His character and His nature. He is speaking about who He is. The way in which God interacts with us can be very different. We can demonstrate that by simply looking at how we get saved. For some people, they get converted when they hear an open-air preacher on the street. That's how God interacted with them to save them. Other people might go to a mass evangelistic meeting and hear the gospel proclaimed from the stage by an evangelist and God converts them there. Other people may be sitting at home quietly reading their Bible and the Spirit of God moves and they get saved. God's character and nature as being the God who saves is the same in all circumstances. But his interaction with how he deals with individuals has been different. And when we come to the Old and New Testament, that's how we understand it. God is the same in who he is and his character and nature. But the way in which he interacts with us may indeed be different. For instance, in the Old Testament, God says that people are to offer an animal sacrifice for the forgiveness of sins. We don't do that anymore. And every church cleaner rejoices at that truth. We don't do that anymore. You didn't come to church tonight, and before we sung hymns, we slit the throat of a lamb. It didn't happen. We don't interact with God that way. But that doesn't mean God's character and God's nature of requiring a sacrifice has changed. 
God in his holiness still requires a sacrifice. The difference is we don't offer sacrifices of bulls and goats and lambs. Rather, we have a perfect sacrifice. Jesus Christ, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. We have a perfect sacrifice who was once offered for sin, the just for the unjust, that he might bring us to God. Our perfect sacrifice took place 2,000 years ago on a cross when Christ died for sinners and he rose again. You see, God's way of dealing with humanity has changed in that the sacrifice is once for all now. But his character and nature of demanding a sacrifice has not changed. Another Old Testament example would be how God deals with sin. We can read all the Old Testament laws and see that there are certain sins that required that people be executed then and there. We don't do that today. We don't go around executing sinners. But God's character and nature of holiness towards sin has not changed. God still says, the soul who sins, it shall die, and the wages of sin is death. God will still execute sinners. The difference is, it's not done here and now. Rather, God promises to execute his justice in eternity. But now he calls on all people to repent. He gives them time. You see, God's character and nature hasn't changed. But the way in which he deals with us has. Now, I know I'm laboring this point, but I want you to see the the emphasis that Malachi is making. The emphasis of God not changing is who God is, his character and nature, not his interaction. So when we read here in Malachi chapter 3, where God says, for I am the Lord, I change not, we know that God is talking about who he is. We know God is talking about what he is like. We know that God is describing himself. And it's this immutability that God declares, that sets him apart from every other so-called God in this world. You see, in the days of Malachi, each nation, each city, each tribe had their own pagan god. And we know from history that these pagan gods were considered as being fickle. If people didn't do certain things, then those false gods would pack up and they would move to another city, normally the city of their enemies. They were fickle gods. The pagan gods were the gods who would change on a whim. And the reason they changed is because they weren't perfect. As a result, the pagans never really knew if their god would change. They never knew what their god wanted. One minute their god might say, this is right. The next minute their god might say, actually, no, that's no longer right. And we can still see that. We can say, well, that's what it's like in Malachi's day, but it's still like that today. The gods of the nations, the gods of Hinduism, for instance, are gods who change. Did you know Allah in Islam is a god who changes? I spoke to a Muslim man once, and he was telling me that he's terrified of Allah. And I said, that's odd. I'm not terrified of my God. I know my God loves me. And he said, oh, no, no, no. Allah does not love me. And I'm terrified of him. I said, why? And he said, well, if I be a good Muslim, and I die, and Allah lets me into paradise, he might let me stay there for many, many years, and then he might change his mind and then cast me into hell. He said, I don't know what's going to happen to me. 
See, the gods of the nations change. They're fickle. They change on a whim. And the reason they do that is because they are not gods. They are, as Paul says in Corinthians, demons who change. They are inconsistent. They are not perfect. They're not God at all. But the God of the Bible, the only true God, stands alone. He separates himself from anyone else who claims deity. And he says, I am the perfect God, for I am the Lord, I change not. You see, the God of the Bible is not like the gods of the nations or any other religion. He is the only perfect God. He is the only one who will never change. That is why James says in James 1.17 that God is the Father of lights with whom there is no variableness, neither shadow of turning. There's not even a hint that God will change in who he is. There's not even a slight possibility that God will turn and change in his character and nature. No, God doesn't change. He will not change. He cannot change. For I am the Lord. I change not. And this is a lofty truth that is very hard for us to get our heads around because we are a people who are nothing like that. We change all the time. We are convinced we're right at one moment and then we quickly realize we're wrong. Husbands know exactly what I'm talking about. You're convinced one minute you're doing the right thing and then your wife corrects you. You change very quickly. But you see, we aren't like God. God is perfect. He never changes. So it's hard for us to understand what God is like. But let me suggest to you that this theology, which is difficult and hard to understand, is actually a doctrine that directly impacts you and I. I'm not trying this evening just to preach some grand theology and say, let's leave here as intellectually stimulated Christians. No, I want to present this theology and then show you how it directly impacts your Christian walk. You see, the immutability of God has a direct bearing on you as a believer. You see, as Christians, we should be very, very thankful that God does not change because if he did, we would all be in a world of trouble. I want you to notice the impact of the mutability of God upon us. Look at verse 6 to 7. Look again at what God says. For I am the Lord, I change not. Therefore ye sons of Jacob are not consumed. Even from the days of your fathers ye are gone away from mine ordinances and have not kept them. Return unto me and I'll return unto you, saith the Lord of hosts. But ye said, wherein shall we return? You see, God, after declaring that he is the God who does not change, says because of his immutability, his people will benefit. And the way in which his people benefit is by the fact that they are not destroyed. They're not consumed. You see, if God was a God who changed, then the covenant people of God would have been wiped out. Why would have they been consumed? Well, our text makes it clear that as a people, they had been very unfaithful to him. As a people, they had sinned. They had rebelled against God. And if God had changed, they would not have been able to stand. The people had sinned against God. They had broken his laws. Now, this sinning was not just confined to a handful of people on a few occasions. Rather, God tells us that the people had been sinning for generations. 
Notice our text says, even from the days of your fathers, ye have gone away from mine ordinances and have not kept them. The covenant people of God, Israel, the church in the Old Testament, had turned sinning into a family tradition. It's what the family did. The forefathers broke God's law and those being addressed by Malachi were sinning also. Yet even though they're in rebellion, God says he will not destroy them. Why? Because God is faithful when we are faithless. The God who cannot change is faithful even when we are not faithful. You see, the Jews in this passage are not consumed. They're not destroyed because God is being faithful to the promise that he made to Abraham many, many years earlier. You see, God is keeping his covenant promise. And since God does not change in who he is and what he is like, God says, I'm going to keep that promise. I'm going to keep that promise. God is faithful towards his people because he does not change. Deuteronomy 7 verse 9 says, Know therefore that the Lord thy God, he is God, the faithful God which keepeth covenant. God keeps covenant. Why? For I, the Lord, do not change. He is faithful. And because of that, his people are not destroyed. They're not wiped out. There's a direct benefit of immutability. And we as Christians should look at these verses and understand, as what Paul says in the book of Romans, that these things are written for our learning. We should look at this passage and go, right, what can we learn about our Christian walk and our God from this example? And here's what we learn. We as Christians are in covenant relationship with God as well. We are partakers of the new covenant, the covenant of grace, the covenant that was made when Jesus Christ bled and died on the cross for us, the covenant we entered into when we had faith in Christ. We are covenant members of God's family. And just like Israel, God promises to keep the covenant he makes towards us. But also, just like Israel, we've been unfaithful. We've sinned many times. You know, it's easy for us to look at Israel and say, well, I can't believe you did that. Really? You can't believe it? Just look at your own life. I mean, I have to look at my own life and I shake my head and say, I would have been there with Israel. And the reason I would have been there with Israel is because I'm there now. Since coming to faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, I can't remember the amount of times I've sinned. It's been that many times. Yet I have not been consumed. Why? Because he remains faithful. He is faithful even when I'm not. Because he does not change, I am not consumed. And if we're all honest, we have to admit we all stand in the exact same position. Think back to the time that the Lord Jesus saved you. Think about that wonderful moment when you became a partaker of grace and you understood what Jesus did. That moment you repented and trusted in Christ and all your sins were removed. Remember that wonderful day. But since that time, how many sins have you committed? I don't think we could count that high. 
here you are still as a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ. Here you are still as one who has eternal life. Why? For I am the Lord, I do not change. Therefore, ye sons of Jacob are not consumed. God says, I will stay faithful towards you because of the covenant that has been made in the precious blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. If God changed, then we all would be consumed. We would all be destroyed. But the mere fact that we stay saved, even from the moment we sinned, shows that God is unchanging and faithful. Now this doesn't give us a license to sin. This is not justification to sin. If you say, oh, in that case, then I can eat, drink, and be merry, and do whatever I want, then that's a sign you don't know grace. Now, if you know grace, when you sin, you go, oh, Lord, I've done wrong. And the Spirit convicts you, and you confess that sin to God. But you're not consumed, because God doesn't change. If it was possible for you to be consumed... If it was possible for you to lose your salvation, you would have lost it by now. You'd be gone. But because God is faithful, because God does not change, we never lose our salvation. All those who are made partakers of the Lord Jesus Christ, all those who have entered into the covenant of grace, will never be lost. This is a direct impact of immutability upon our Christian walk. The God who cannot change is the God who keeps you safe in His hands. And nothing can snatch you out of His hands. Listen to what the Lord Jesus said in John chapter 10, verse 27 to 29. Jesus said, My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. And I give unto them eternal life, and they shall never perish, neither shall any man pluck them out of my hand. My Father which gave them me is greater than all, and no man is able to pluck them out of my Father's hand. Jesus says, your salvation is so secure that He is holding you, and the Father is holding you. We can then add Ephesians 1 to it and says, The Spirit of God has sealed you until the day of redemption. The whole Trinity, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, works together in keeping you saved and holding you safe. He promises to keep you that way. And because He does not change, you will stay saved. Now, some people might say, Oh, hang on a second. Sure, nothing can snatch me out of the hands of God. But what if I choose to jump out of the hands of God? Fair enough, that's an interesting argument, but let's, let's dissect it for a moment. God promises to hold you. All of the Trinity is holding you safe. Yet you're somehow strong enough to jump out of the Trinity's grasp. Just, just process that one. You're strong enough to overcome the grasp of the Father. You're strong enough to overcome the grasp of the Son. You're strong enough to break the seal of redemption of the Spirit. Really? 
No, God says, I will hold you safe. And I'll remain faithful even at times you may try and jump out of my hands. I'll be faithful when you are faithless. For I, the Lord, I do not change. The immutability of God is the assurance of our salvation. He does not change. He is faithful. You see, God says he will save and he promises to keep us saved. And since he does not change, since he is faithful to the covenant promise, we as believers in the Lord Jesus Christ can rest in the fact that we will not be consumed. You see, if we could lose our salvation, it would demonstrate that God is not perfect and that he has changed. But listen again to Malachi 3.6, For I, the Lord, do not change, therefore you, O children of Jacob, are not consumed. The salvation of the believer is eternal because the unchanging God does the saving. He is the one who keeps us saved because he does not change. Brothers and sisters, I don't know what you're going through. I don't know what sins you battle with. But know this, your Savior is greater than your sin. He is faithful to keep you and to love you and not allow you to be consumed. Uh, Christians, for, don't for a moment believe the lie that says if you sin, God will destroy you and bad things will happen to you. Don't buy that lie. Don't believe the lie that says, oh, you better work hard or you may lose your salvation. That's works righteousness. That's not grace. You see, the God of the Bible says no such thing. He says, for I am the Lord, I change not. Therefore, ye sons of Jacob are not consumed. Don't get beaten down. If you've sinned against God, we all do. Don't wallow in that sin. Oh, woe is me, I've done so wrong. How could God love me? Stop compounding sin with sin because the moment you start saying, how can God love me? You're calling into question God's character and nature. Simply go back to the word and say, right, the Bible says God does not change. I won't be consumed. Well, that must mean he's still got me safe. Even though I've sinned, the Bible says I have loved you with an everlasting love. Well, that means God still loves me. Oh, but I've done wrong. Yes, that's true. But Jesus says, the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit hold me. He's got me. Change your thinking according to the word of God. And say, Lord, yes, I have sinned. Please forgive me. I'm so thankful for your grace that you remain faithful because you do not change. So this evening, if you are being faithless, if you are in a point of running off into sin like Israel was, then tonight, let me plead with you to come back to your Savior. He loves you. He hasn't forsaken you. He has not given up on you. He stands ready with outstretched arms to welcome you back. Come running back to Him. Don't think the sin that you've committed has somehow caused you to jump out of the hands of Jesus. His grace is sufficient. The blood of Jesus Christ cleanses from all sin. 
hold fast to the promise that the God who does not change remains faithful. Well, as we finish, let me just reiterate a couple of things. We have a Savior, Jesus Christ, who is the same yesterday, today, and forever. He does not change. He will not change. He cannot change. And because of that, we can have confidence in our God. We can have confidence that he will keep us safe. That we have eternal life. And nothing can take that away. See, our salvation depends not upon us and what we do. Rather, it depends upon God who does not change. For I am the Lord, I change not. Therefore, ye sons of Jacob are not consumed. Let's pray. Oh, our God and our Father, we do thank you that you are faithful, even though many times we have been faithless. Lord, may we hold fast to the truth of your word. May we rejoice in your character and nature, knowing that because you do not change, we are safe forever. Lord, you know the hearts of all people. You know what people are struggling with this evening. You know the sins that so easily beset us. Lord, would you please forgive us for our many sins. Lord, please do not allow us to be pushed into a pit of despair where we think that we've outsinned your grace. And Lord, if there be any of your people in that pit tonight, we pray that you would remind them from the word that you are the God who does not change. And therefore, they will not be consumed. May they see the hand of grace as extended to them. And may they hold fast to their Saviour, knowing that he holds fast to them. Oh Lord, be of your people tonight, we pray. For Jesus' sake. Amen. Well, our closing hymn tonight is hymn number 86. Hymn number 86. Great is thy faithfulness, O God, my Father. There is no shadow of turning with thee. Thou changest not thy compassions, they fail not. As thou hast been, thou forever wilt be. Hymn number 86.
faultless before the presence of his glory with exceeding joy. To the only wise God, our Savior, be glory and majesty, dominion and power, both now and ever. Amen.